Welcome to Ignite Ministries. This is Brent Kelly. I pray that these teachings will take you much deeper into an understanding of sonship and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Let me, let me just jump right into this. So, you know, identity was something that I kind of got into, I would say probably about eight, nine years ago. Um, maybe a little bit further back than that. I think uh, Andrew Womack was kind of my, my first little step into identity. And then I kind of, you know, at that time, Joseph Prince was, you know, he just released his book, Emerited Grace or Unmerited Favor Grace. And, um, you know, and so there was a lot of uh, teaching on grace at that point and different things. Um, but it wasn't until probably about, you know, seven, eight years ago that I, I started walking um, kind of from the grace movement into identity. Uh, and identity really began to change, um, how should I put it, where where sin started losing its power, its grip on my life. I would like to say that the grace teaching did that, but identity really reinforced that. And then as I kind of walked into what we might call the, the identity movement, um, then that started making me focus a little bit more on lordship and balancing that out with lordship. Um, you know, I was talking to a, a minister one time uh, that a lot of people know, and and he asked me what I was preaching, and, and I made the comment, you know, identity without lordship is entitlement. And I feel like that's very important that, I, you know, we can get so wrapped in identity. When, when I talk about identity, we can boast about our sonship. We can, we can talk about being a son. We can even boast about grace. But there's still, lordship is still needed. And uh, lordship is vital. It's important to walking in truth and walking in victory and uh, living in this abundant life that grace has for us. And, um, you know, one of the things that I like to, to talk about is, you know, the progression of going before the throne room of God. And, and what is needed in that is, is both grace and truth. It's enter his, what, his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. You know, uh, we, we understand that coming from David and, and David giving us that little bit of nugget there. But the importance of that is that lordship gets us through the gates and lordship gets us into the courts. But lordship won't necessarily get you into the throne throne room. How many of you know, if, if we take Hebrews chapter four, you know, let us boldly go before the throne room into the throne room. I want you to understand that lordship will get you. How many of you know that thanksgiving is lordship? Giving him thanks with a grateful heart, giving him thanks is so vital. It's so important into the position, the position of our heart. And as we humble ourselves and we take the position of our heart low, we go into what? We go into his gates. We enter the gates, but then there's praise. How many of you understand that praise is also lordship? You know, it, it is this positioning of our heart of magnifying him. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's about his great name, not ours. It's about King Jesus, not sonship. How many of you understand that? But you can't walk into sonship without first understanding lordship. You know, 
Um, this is about a kingship. This is about a king. You know, this is King Jesus. When every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess to who? King Jesus. Uh, not, not Brent Kelly, not your name. Uh, demons don't tremble at our name. They tremble at Jesus. You know, um, <laughs> that it, what we are submitted to is very important to what the demonic and principalities and, and spiritual, you know, uh, high places, those types of things bow to what we submit to. Um, they see our name attached to Jesus. So it's, it's not like my name carries uh, the, this, this authority. It's that I'm submitted to Jesus. So therefore, I have authority over sickness. I have authority over the demonic. So identity is, is vital uh, to you walking in, 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 in grace, in truth, and boldly coming before uh, the throne room of grace. If I don't understand that I'm a son, uh, you know, it, it, like I said, it's enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Uh, that's lordship, but sonship gets me boldly to the throne. You know, in, in the book of Esther, to go before the throne of the king without being summoned was a death sentence. I think we need to understand that it was a death sentence. So in the Old Testament, we didn't have access to the throne room like we do now. And identity gets me there. Identity is what has been done for me through the cross. So let's, let's talk about identity. What, what's, the, what, what's powerful about identity is that... Um, positionally what I've become through the cross, not by my works. You know, remember that scripture in the Old Testament, not by, not by power, not by might, but by his spirit. It, it, it's pretty much that, not by my works. There's nothing I can do. It's, I'm not saved by works, least any man boasts. You know, I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man boast, but the free gift of God. It's a free gift. My salvation is in Jesus. It's not in me trying to walk obedient to the law. You know, I'm not justified by works, but justified by faith. And, and, and I know some people get frustrated with that. And I, I realized there was, a, there was a minister today talking about faith alone and how we're not saved by faith alone. And no, we're not saved by faith alone. We're, we're saved by, faith, by grace through faith, meaning that Faith reaches out and it grabs uh, and, and what grace has done for us. And so it, it, it plays a vital role. It's the balance of grace and faith. And, and there's something that happens to us when we begin to believe what has already been done. So, you know, I often tell people you're not trying to become something. You already are something. You know, I think I wrote it on this page a little earlier today that when I allow the identity of what I've done to speak louder uh, and, and I take on that identity, I want you to think about the sins that you've done in your past. The, yesterday's gone. Today is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. So I want you to understand what I did yesterday, what I did the day before that, none of that should identify with who I am at this moment. But when I allow the sins of yesterday to become my identity, I reject the identity that I've become through the cross.
That, that, is, that is absolutely powerful. And so many times through regret, shame, fear, resentment, all this other stuff, unbelief, unforgiveness, and bitterness, when we begin to take on that identity of what happened to us instead of what he did for us, we literally chain ourselves. With, I, I want you to understand that probably 95% of what people are blaming the devil for are people's own choices. Listen, I want you to understand that at, at the end of it, like Adam in the garden wanted to blame, he, he wanted to blame, blame the, the serpent. He wanted to blame Eve and he wanted to blame God for sending Eve. But never once did he look at himself and he blamed himself, you know, of his own choices. You know, we have an issue with that within the, the church a lot lately that we want to call our, you know, we, we want to say, I'm sorry that those things happened to you. I'm, uh, I'm sorry that you went through those things and, and stuff like that. No, those were choices that people made. I want you to understand, no one put a gun to your head and told you to drink and drive. No one put a gun to your head and told you to marry someone. You can try to, that ended up in a, in a terrible relationship. You can, you can try to say, well, they manipulated me, they controlled me. But anytime you enter into that place, you have entered into the endemic nature and you're, you're identifying yourself as Adam identified himself. It, None of that. Listen, at the end of the day, when I get to heaven, I can't blame anyone for what I've done. You know, I have to I have to be honest with myself. I made choices. They, they weren't accidental. They were things that I chose to do. You know, quit blaming the devil for the things you love to do. So, so identity, part of identity is, is owning up to the reality that this is not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. And so it doesn't matter what I've done. That isn't what defines me. It's what he's done. And so being able to walk in humility and see the reality of the situation and, and not make excuses or hold other people in uh, responsible for your actions is, is part of the beginning of identity. That's the hard part of identity. We love to take on the Colossians 124 through, through the body of the flesh that he, that Christ through the cross has presented as holy, righteous, and above reproach. We love to take on that scripture and listen, that's who we are. The moment I got saved, something died. Brent Kelly died. I want you to understand. I'm just telling you a little bit of my testimony. So when I got saved, guess what? Brent Kelly died. And all the works of Brent Kelly died. As long as I'm in this marriage and in this relationship with Jesus Christ, I hope I'm not yelling. Let me turn down my mic a little bit because I'm seeing that I'm hitting the red mark on my meter here. Let me know if my volume's crazy or anything like that. Uh, and please share this. So I want you to understand when, when I got saved, Brent Kelly died and all the works of Brent Kelly's flesh died with me. That, that's just, that's, that's the gospel. And so I become a new creation in Christ Jesus. 
So if I looked at 1 John chapter 3, and I was to point that out in the Bible here, 1 John chapter 3 says, whoever is born of God does not sin. So you need to ask yourself, if I'm born of God, then why am I sinning? Because there's a part of you that's born of God that, that cannot sin. It's your spirit. It is made as Jesus is. So are we in this world. That We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I want you to understand that there's a part of me that's born of God. Now, my flesh still is in the process of being sanctified and, 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 and it's the process of salvation. So what I abide in will become the fruit of my life. So if I abide in the flesh, I'm going to produce flesh. If I abide in the spirit, I'm going to produce the spirit. So this is part of identity I really want to get you into right here because this is, uh, this is how you get set free. So let, let's talk for a second. One of the things, I was talking to a friend today and um, I was bringing up some, some parallels between uh, the garden and talking about, remember when Adam and Eve sinned? Their eyes were darkened. They sinned. Their eyes were darkened, which means that they, what they viewed, there, there's something about that. What they viewed, they no longer saw in innocence. There's something so valuable about being innocent, being innocent. I was reading uh, uh, to my friend earlier today, I was reading 2 Second, Second Peter, and it's so, it's so beautiful what 2 Peter is saying here, and I'm going to read that to you. Um, 2 Peter 1, chapter 5 says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours, meaning that I want you to understand there is power in the seed. The seed is important. If you look at a tree, everything needed for that tree to grow and persevere is within the seed. It's within the seed. I want you to understand in the seed, it is the incorruptible, indestructible seed of a living God. It's incorruptible, indestructible. It, it, it is so vital. It, it, it is everything necessary to reproduce itself is in the seed. Remember when we read, uh, you know, when you read Genesis, it says that within the seed is its own kind and the ability. I want you to understand that in the seed of the living God, the, the gospel itself is the ability to reproduce itself. And so we, we, we hear the gospel preached to us and that seed is implanted within our heart and we become a new creation in Christ Jesus. It begins to grow and multiply inside of us. And I want you to understand that in the seed of God that has been put inside of you, the gospel is, is the ability to have self-control, brotherly kindness, goodness, perseverance, virtue, Everything you need to, to grow into the image of God is in you already through the gospel, the seed of the gospel in Jesus Christ. So it says, but if these things are in you and they abound, which means that you, if they're abounding, it means that you are preparing 
a good soil for that tree to grow. And, and we'll go into that in a second. For if these things about are yours and abound, you will neither be bare nor fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is, that's incredible. But I want you to hear this. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted or blind, or even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed of his old sins. I want you to understand, I, I love even the Passion Translation and several other translations even, even write this or translate it even more beautiful. And what, what the scripture is saying, that if you're not producing godliness, self-control, and these things that have been implanted into you through the seed of a living God, the reason these things are multiplying in you is that you're blind to your innocence. What happened with Adam and Eve is when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were blinded to their innocence. I love what, what did Jesus say to them when he saw them? He said, Adam, who told you you were naked? Who told you you're not innocent? What was the first thing? The first thing that Adam and Eve did, they covered themselves. They made an apron of fig leaves. That is, that is very important. I want you to understand that when you start talking in, 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 in a fig tree, fig leaves, um, you'll, you'll find within uh, Hebrew writings that the fig tree often represents the law. So the first thing they did was try to justify themselves through the law. How are we justified? Through faith, not the law. This is so vital and so important. And because they tried to justify themselves through the law, the fig tree, the fig tree they clothed themselves in fig leaves. I want you to understand they didn't make themselves complete like a ghillie suit. I don't know if you know what a ghillie suit is, but have you ever seen a sniper in the, in, in, you know, a sniper is always wearing, it looks like they have a complete suit with leaves attached to it. They didn't clothe themselves in, in, in a ghillie suit. Um, that's not what happened. They clothed themselves in, uh, uh, they, they made an apron around probably their waist. Now, why would they make an apron around their waist? Because, because it was, they were covering the reproductive organs. What was the thing that God told them to do? Go and reproduce. That, that, that was and, and, and cover the earth. So, so the point of Adam and Eve was they were the, the image of God was put inside of them. Let us make man in our image. And so they put the image of God within man. The purpose of Adam and Eve was for this reason: to become a temple. What, what do you put in temples? You know, you, you put an image in a temple that's worshipped. That's adored. You know, if, if you look at a temple, that's, that's the thing about a temple. It, you know, it, Catholicism puts a cross, you know, and, and people worship the cross. And in, in, the, in the tent of meetings, in the tabernacle, there was the Ark of the Covenant. You know, there, it, it was, and that was adored and, and, and worshipped because the presence of God hovered over the Ark of the Covenant. And so if you have a temple, you place an image and you worship the image. And, and in the same way that Adam and Eve were the temple, in the same way that 
Paul says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of God. Jesus said to the Samaritan at the well, the woman at the well, you won't worship me on a mountain. You won't worship me in a temple. You will worship me in spirit and truth, meaning that you won't find the presence of God in man-made things, but you will find it within us. And because we become the temple of God when we receive Jesus Christ to be king of our hearts. And so he comes and he dwells and lives within us. And so the purpose of Adam and Eve were to be the temple. Now, now a temple is what? It's the medium. I want you to see that here's, here's earth and here's heaven. And then there's this, there's this space in between. The space in between is filled with us. That means the, that's where heaven comes to touch earth. What, what did Jesus say? People came to Jesus. They said, where is this kingdom you're talking about? He says, it's inside of you. The kingdom of God is in you. So if the kingdom of God is inside of me, the purpose of the kingdom of God being inside of me is not so that I would pray the heavens to come down, but I would pray for heaven to come out. <laughs> what did he tell the disciples? Go heal the sick. Call all the sick together in a village and heal them and say the kingdom of heaven has come. So we are to release the kingdom of heaven. So the, the idea of Adam and Eve was so that God would release his presence into them and it would cover the earth. How would it cover the earth? See, we take go and reproduce or go and, 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 and bear fruit as God telling Adam and Eve, go and have children. But that wasn't, that wasn't the point. The point was to reproduce the image of God that was inside of them through their children. Until it covers what? The earth as the water clothed the sea. We, when we bear the image of God inside of us, meaning this, that when we shine forth the light of Christ and we walk obedient to the spirit, we carry upon ourselves the glory of God. And it says that the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters close the sea. So, so the point of it was, is that Adam and Eve were to reproduce the image of God through walking in, uh, abiding in Christ and walking in intimacy with the Lord. And through doing that and walking in intimacy with the Lord, they would, what? They would bear his image through their children. And their children would go throughout the earth, covering the earth with the glory of God. So let's get to the point where Adam sins. So Adam sins. He eats of the fruit. So Eve eats of the fruit. So what has happened? Their eyes, their understanding has become darkened, meaning that they no longer view themselves and creation through innocence. Kind of what Peter was talking about right here, that I want you to understand inside, inside Adam and Eve was brotherly kindness, goodness or godliness, Virtue, faith, self-control, all those things were inside of them. That, that's, that's who they were. But when they believed the lie and they 
they listened to the lie of the enemy, something happened. All of a sudden, their eyes became darkened when they sinned to their innocence. And because their eyes were darkened to their innocence, what did they do? They covered their reproductive organs with what? Fig leaves. Fig leaves, which represent the law. Now, I want to say a couple of things about the law real quick. The, the law of Moses, we can take all, just throw all 613 in there. You can go, we can start with the 10 all the way to the 613. I hope this is blessing you. I hope this is making sense. Um, let's, let's take the law of Moses. And I want to show you something. Here's some things about the law. First of all, the law could only manage behaviors. It could not crucify them. Let me say that again. It could manage behaviors. It could not crucify behaviors. Let me explain that. So Jesus in the Beatitudes, your law says, the law of Moses says, thou shalt not commit adultery. I want you to understand that under the law of Moses, I could not physically commit adultery. I could, I could walk around and never have sex with a woman in the flesh, but I could have sex with a woman in my mind and my heart, but yet still be innocent of the law. Jesus says, I say unto you that the law of Moses says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks upon a woman with lust in his heart or his eyes has committed adultery in his heart. Under the law of Moses, I could physically never commit murder and be innocent of the law of Moses. But Jesus says that the law of Moses says, thou shalt not commit a murder. But I say to you, anyone who is unrighteously angry or angry at his brother in his heart has, or in, has committed murder in his heart. I, I, so what I'm showing you is that it could manage behaviors. It could not deal with the issues of the heart. Now, I'll point out a couple of examples on this. Is this blessing you? Please, if it is, share this. Uh, let me hear your comments. Um, I don't really have any new comments on this, so I'm curious uh, who's watching in, in comments. Um, so let, let me give you some examples of this. So remember when Israel cried out for a king. They said, we want a king. We want a king. We're tired of judges. We want a king. We want to be like other nations. And so Samuel came in the scene, and Samuel was the prophet. And, and so God says, I'll permit them to have a king, but it, it will cost them their sons, and they'll be taxed, and they'll come under the hardships and the burdens of having a king, and all these different things. So Samuel goes, and he finds who? He finds Saul. And one of the things is when he anoints Saul with oil, it says that God gave Saul a new heart. It says, that's what it says, that he gave Saul a new heart. You will find several times in the Old Testament that God actually gives men new hearts. And that is, that is very important to understand. So, 
So the law itself could restrain the flesh, but it could not crucify the desires of the heart. Meaning that people could literally lust in their heart, murder in their heart, covet in their heart, and do all these different things. And they could even manifest it in the flesh, but atone through the sacrifice, but it could never deal with the deep in issues of the heart. So we, so that's, that's what I'm talking about. So, so the law could what? It could manage behaviors. It could not crucify it. Here's, here's the other thing. The law could never bear fruit. I want you to understand that. The law could never bear fruit. Otherwise, Jesus would never have had to come back. And so I'm going to show you a few examples of this. Remember that they put fig leaves on what? On their reproductive organs. This is Adam and Eve in the garden. They put fig leaves on the reproductive organs. I, I'm going to talk about a fig tree a couple of different times. I'm going to show you some parallels here. Let's talk about, remember in John chapter uh, 2. This is, this is a beautiful scripture where, where Philip brings Nathaniel to Jesus. And Jesus says, I saw you, the, uh, Nathaniel, sitting under the fig tree. Sitting under a fig tree. That's what he says about Nathaniel. But right before that, he says, a true Hebrew you are. Or a true Israelite you are. Uh, and I'll actually read it because it's fascinating what he's saying here. So he sees Nathaniel in, in John chapter 2. Uh, or actually, this is John chapter 1. And um, he says, before Philip called you, you were under a fig tree. I saw you. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. He's actually reading Psalms 32.2. So I'm going to turn to Psalms 32.2. So when he says the true Israelite you are in whom there is no deceit, let's look and see what Psalms 32.2 says. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Um, and in whom the spirit, there is no deceit. And so what he's saying is that, that Nathaniel is sitting under a fig tree, meaning that he is submitted fully under the law of Moses as a true Israelite. It's fascinating. So he's not just talking about a physical fig tree. He's talking about metaphor that the fig tree is the law. So let me, let, let's look at this. Jesus walks by a fig tree that gives the appearance of producing fruit. It's in the season of producing fruit, which means that in the, in the time that the fig leaf produces leaves, it also produces the bud to produce fruit. But Jesus sees the fig tree and sees that it has no fruit on it, gave the appearance but when he got closer, he saw that it did not have fruit. So he cursed the fig tree at the roots and it died. It withered away. So the law itself can never produce fruit, meaning that it cannot produce holiness. It cannot produce righteousness, justification. None of those can be produced by the law. Otherwise, the Pharisees were holy. The word Pharisee meant to be set apart, to be holy before or consecrated before God. So, and Jesus himself says they were nothing more than what? Whitewashed tombs, serpents, 
that there was nothing fruitful in them. So to, to be an observer of the law does not make you holy and it cannot produce righteousness in your life. So the first thing that Adam and Eve did when they sinned, they put an apron over themselves. Why? Because their eyes were darkened and they perceived that they were no longer innocent. And so they covered themselves in fig leaves because they did not have the ability to reproduce the image of God. In their deception, with their eyes being darkened, no longer perceiving themselves to be innocent. What did Paul, what did Peter say in 2 Peter chapter 1? That the ones that were not producing godliness, faithfulness, uh, or um, brotherly kindness, goodness, all the uh, virtue, that the people that were not producing those things that they have become blind to their innocence. So that, that is vital and that's important. So if you do not see yourself as innocent in the Lord, you will never produce fruit in your life. Did you catch that? I hope somebody caught that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking on here to see if anybody caught that. Let me know if you caught that. If you do not believe that you're innocent with the Lord, you will not produce fruit in Jesus. I'll give you another scripture that proves this. John, 1 John chapter 5 says that if my heart condemns me, know this, that God is greater than my heart. So, if I do, if my heart is declaring I'm not innocent before God, it's saying, John's saying, trust that God knows, knows you more, <laughs> meaning that you're innocent. But if my heart does not condemn me, which means that I am seeing myself innocent before God, not guilty, not with blood on my hands, but innocent before God, that my conscience is seared and sprinkled Hebrews chapter 10, with the blood of Jesus, guess what happens? I have confidence with God. That's what it says. If my heart does not condemn me, I have confidence with God. So what I'm saying is that when Adam and Eve sinned, that their eyes were darkened, that they no longer saw themselves innocent before God, so they hid before God. They covered themselves with fig leaves, not their whole bodies, their ability to reproduce. Because they saw, it, like I said, and they covered it with the law. Under the law, you cannot reproduce the image of God. You can't. Because it, it's the law of sin and death. <laughs> that, that's the thing. The law was to show us our guilt and our need of life in Christ. It, it's our schoolmaster to lead us to salvation. It, it leads us to our death so that we can be implanted with the seed of the living God so that we can become a new creation. And in that seed is the ability to reproduce itself in the image of God, which means that love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, self-control, godliness, faithfulness, virtue, 
meaning power, all these things are inside the seed that was put inside of you. But if you are blind to your innocence, 2 Peter chapter 1 that I read, if you are blind to your innocence, you will not produce fruit. So the first part of identity is casting off the identity of what you've done and putting on the identity of who he is. Clothe yourself in Jesus. It will set you free. This is, this is how you walk in truth. This is how, I, you know, before I knew all this, before this really just got dropped in my spirit, I remember I was a 14-year-old, 15-year-old kid. I got a hold of a Smith Wigglesworth book, and one of Smith Wigglesworth's sayings that got burned within my heart was, if you fall a thousand times a day, stand up and strive for holiness. And something burned in my heart, like, how can I fall a thousand times a day and even see myself worthy of standing up? And, and if I'm falling a thousand times in a day, isn't something wrong? But that's what Jesus said when he said, if a man, remember he's talking to Peter and he says, if a man sins against you, remember Peter comes with this question, when do we have the right? Let me, let me just put it in Peter's terms, not, not how it was written in, in scripture, but let me, let me put it in the street language of Peter. <laughs> when do I have the right to cut someone off, to be angry, and hold someone in unforgiveness. That's really what Jesus is saying to Peter. <laughs> and I'm, I'm probably, I, I have a, a little bit of discernment here that Peter probably had someone in mind when he asked this question. The, the, the biblical context is Peter is saying, listen, Jesus, how many times am I commanded to forgive someone? And Jesus is saying seven times 70, meaning infinity. And Jesus is like, whoa, that's, that doesn't give me much right here. I don't have any rights in that, in that answer. And exactly, I want you to understand that Jesus laid down his rights. He's not the propitiation of just my sins. He's the propitiation of the sins of the world, which means he covered every sin that will ever be manifested. There is blood for it. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much, much more. Meaning that there is no sin that will never be covered by the blood of Jesus that faith can't grab a hold of and appropriate it for your life. That's amazing. That's an incredible gospel right there. That will set you free. So... He's not just the forgiveness of my sins, but that of the whole world. He's the sacrifice once and for all. John chapter, or uh, Hebrews chapter 10. I'm saying all this because I, I want to drive this point that the moment the gospel got inside of you, the moment you believed the gospel, you became holy, you became righteous, you became good, you became the, the, the image of God. That, that was the whole purpose. Let us put the image, let us clean up the skewed nature of Adam. Let us, let us rinse, let us wash and cleanse and sanctify them from the, 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 the identity of Adam 
so that they could see that they are innocent before me. Isn't, isn't that 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 5? That all things were reconciled, meaning that the reconciled is an accounting term for the debt is canceled. All the debt is canceled in Christ Jesus for the whole world. So when I begin to see this, it's not the license to sin. If you're, if you're using this as a license to, to not become love, the goal of our instruction is to become love. Which means if I'm angry, I'm not love. If I'm lusting, I'm not love. Because if I have love in my heart, I won't lust. Why? Because I won't do that against my wife. And, or let's just even put it a little step further. I won't do it because the person I'm looking at, that wouldn't be love toward them. I wouldn't be seeing them through their innocence. Does that make sense? There's something about innocence of a child. Let us become what? Let you, no one, unless they become as innocent as one of these children. Unless they have the humility of a child, unless they become innocent as one of these, they will have no place in the kingdom of heaven. Unless we are stripped of the way that seems right to a man, which is that I have to produce something in order to get something. Or maybe I get something and that creates something inside of me to produce something. I'm not working to get a seed to bear fruit. The seed is the free gift that when it gets inside of me. See, the soil is a big deal too. So the condition of the heart, remember the four types of soil, the thorny soil, the, the, the rocky soil, the trampled down soil, and the good soil. Humility is the good soil. God resists the proud and pours out grace upon the humble. Humility is the good soil. And if I, if I allow the soil of my heart, humility, that it's not by might, not by power, but by his spirit, that he has washed away all my sins. What, what, if I do not believe in my innocence, then guess what? This world is going to choke out the seed. The stony ground, what's the stony ground? The stony ground is... I want you to understand that one-third of the soil in the heart, let's look at the, there's the good soil, it's over here. I, I want you to take the good soil of the heart of that, of that, of that, of, of Jesus's parable. Let's just put that to the side. So there's three bad soils and there's one good soil. You get that? Okay. I want you to understand that two-thirds of the bad soil have nothing to do with the devil. It just has to do with life itself. I want you to understand that. Only one-third, 33%, 33.3% of that parable was the devil who comes like the bird and steals the, steals the soil. But it says the soil was trampled down and hard. Well, why was it trampled down? By the feet of man. So even that, you can even say, the devil stole it because it was trampled down by the feet of man. But the other was the what? It was the stony ground. Well, what's the stony ground? Offenses. You don't know what they did to me. 
You don't know what she did to me. You don't know what my spouse did to me. You don't know what my children said to me. You don't know what my father did to me. You don't know what my mother did to me. It's the, it's the pride of man to see that they're the victim of their story. And anytime you're the victim of your story, guess what? You, 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 you're not going to make it. The seed that is trying to get implanted within that soil will what? It will shoot up quickly, but then it'll, it'll dry up in the sun. And then there's the thorny ground. There's the, the, the world that is choking it out, the deceitfulness of riches and all these different things that are choking. It's just the, it's just the, the way the cards are drawn. It's you were, you were, you raised in a home where you were put up for adoption or what, no matter what it is, they're terrible things, but there's a redemptive part of the story, and it's that when you can deny yourself and you can cast off the identity. Look at, look at Joseph. Look at Joseph. Joseph had, had every reason to be offended at the world. He was put in the prison. Potiphar put him in the prison. The, and all these bad things happened to him. But guess what? He never ever, ever, ever took on the identity of what happened to him. He took on the identity of what was prophesied and spoken and put and planted by dreams and visions of the Lord. He grabbed a hold of that and the humility of his heart made it a good soil. The Hebrew voice being thrown in the fiery furnace. for, But listen, they, they, they didn't... I want you to understand when Nebuchadnezzar said, bow before me or you'll die, you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace, that they didn't. It wasn't with the idea that, oh, we'll be saved. They weren't looking for a better day. I want you to understand that they were, in that moment, they said, if we die, God is good. If he saves us, God is good. If we die, God is good. That does not change who he is, and my response toward him. But we think that anything that happens toward us is in some way a reflection of who God's nature is because that's the way that seems right to a man that leads to death. And that type of soil will not permit the gospel to flourish in your life and you will not produce Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, meekness, all those different things. Because you're not denying yourself. So your innocence is so vital. Your innocence is so important. Until you look, can look in the mirror. Tonight, go and look in the mirror. Look in the mirror and can you say with Faith, as you look in the mirror, I am innocent before God. That's, that's an important question. It's a question that should be asked in every single church. Am I innocent before God? Do I believe the gospel? When we were children, we sang songs, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What has made me whole again? 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. He washed me white as snow. We sang these songs as children. But we started putting a, started judging sins by based on what we do, in, by, by levels and degrees and all this other stuff. I want you to understand, lying as a seven-year-old carried the same consequence of putting Jesus on the cross as a 30-year-old committing adultery. That's just the truth. People might say, oh, well, there's an age of accountability and all this other stuff. We're, we're not going to get into that. But I want you to understand that there is no degrees of sin this way. People say, well, brother, homosexuality is an abomination to God. And I will say, you're right. But so is gluttony. Overeating. Overindulging is also an abomination to God. So I want you to understand that, as James said, if you broke one, you broke the whole book. <laughs> you're guilty of them all. If you submit yourself under the law, you're guilty of it all. But we're not under the law. That's the beauty of this thing. Well, so, well, so how do I live in identity and relationship with the Lord? And that governs my heart. Because then my actions are governed by love, not lust. That's how we're supposed to walk. Because he loves me, I will not have any graven image. Because he loves me, I will not use the Lord's name in vain. Because he loves me, I will honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Because I love my parents. I will honor them because I love my neighbor. I will not steal from them because I love my neighbor. I will not covet because I love my neighbor. I will not murder because I love my neighbor. I will not steal because I love my neighbor. I will not lie because I love him. I will worship the Lord my God and him only. <laughs> love fulfills the law. And love is what governs our heart. But I can 